Welcome. Thank you for being in Encounter Church today. My name is Chris Causey. Um, I'm the lead pastor here. And today we're kicking off a new series I'm excited about that we're going to be looking at this month and next month. And it's a, a series that's geared to just practical tools uh, for really at the heart to, to not be a statistic, to, to actually beat the odds. That for many of us, uh, we recognize that at the end of the day, when you're growing up, the world looks easy. It looks like it's going to work out. Imagine I'm going to grow up to be anything, and then you get on American Idol, and you realize you can't sing. Those kind of moments happen. And you realize you can't be anything, and that marriage is really hard, and parenting is difficult, and finances are true, and you have to pay for things, or people kick you out or shut you off, or that really, even communication can be tricky. And this series, um, over the next two months, what we're going to do is just unpack in all the different areas of our life uh, some practical tools from the Bible on how to not be a statistic. Because none of us won't average. I don't have to know you to know that. Because average typically isn't good. It's just okay. That most of us, uh, like me, you want an above average relationship with your significant other or with your child or with your co-workers. You want more than just average finances. You want more than just average joy. I mean, there's, you want more than just an average inner life. And how do you actually do that? And for many of us, we live in the realm of average because average is what we grew up in. Average is what we were exposed to. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the next eight weeks of us deep diving into this while simultaneously getting some really helpful tools. I recently heard about a man who uh, was experiencing pain in every part of his body. So he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, show me the places it hurts. And he says, ouch, right here, and ah, right there, and ah, right there, and just everywhere he's touching. It's just hurting, excruciating. The doctor sits, stares, reflecting, and then finally he says, oh, wait a second. It hits him. Let me, see your, let me see your hand. And he grabs the man's finger, and he squeezes it. And the man lets out a blood-curdling scream. He's like, sir, your body's not hurting. Your finger's broken. Everywhere you touch hurts because your finger is broken. <laughs> and the reality is, is I think that communication is a lot like a broken finger. That when your communication is broken, it doesn't matter what you're communicating about, it's broken too. You ever notice that? When your communication is just broken down, it doesn't matter if you're talking about a vacation or conflict, it goes to the same place, disaster. And communication is one of those essential tools. It is the essential tool for any relationship on this planet. And for us to experience, to begin to live out a lives that go beyond just average or good, but to begin to experience what God intended us to have in our relationships, I think the best place to start is communication. Because if it's broken, everything is broken with it. And there is an incredibly succinct passage, just two simple verses that I want us to spend the next 25 minutes looking at. And inside of that passage, I believe, is a framework that can help you and I, all of us, no matter where we are, even no matter what we might, may believe about faith, actually begin to make healthy steps towards better-than-average communication. 
that it's a really helpful tool and framework to give you an understanding of these four distinctive communication styles that we can fall into. And by understanding these different ruts and ditches that we can fall into, we're in better position to actually begin to make choices to move towards God's intention of being effective and life-giving in how we communicate. The passage I want to look at today, the two specific verses, are already loaded in the app for you. And if you haven't downloaded the app, you can download it at EncounterChurch.com forward slash app, like Jason said earlier. Um, And in the message notes, they're already preloaded. And it's these specific verses found in the book of Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 that I want us to focus in on. But while you're kind of clicking or flipping or kind of navigating to that, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop that's helpful. Uh, Proverbs is written predominantly by a man named Solomon, who's considered to be one of the wisest men who have ever lived. He was the son of one of Israel's most famous kings, a guy named David and Goliath, not David and Goliath, David, who fought Goliath, who was kind of his like claim to fame for most of us, even if we didn't grow up in the church. He's that guy who had this extraordinary courage and conviction about God and whose life reflected that. And this guy, David, has a son named Solomon who um, his one prayer when he becomes king is, God, give me wisdom to lead. And God answers that prayer. And in the course of his life, the sayings that he would say would make him internationally known in a time and in a place where being internationally known was not even a thing yet. I mean, he would have people traveling from all around the ancient known world to come and meet with him, which is extraordinary. It's not a day of YouTube and Twitter. This is a man whose words had so much insight that people living in distant lands would hear rumors about him and they would travel to have some of their deepest, most difficult questions answered by him. And so this man who's processing through wisdom collects some of these in in a parenting manual, a parenting manual that we now call the book of Proverbs. He writes this predominantly, collects some of this in the same way that his father does. In fact, we see if you read through the book of Proverbs that he will reference his dad doing the same thing to him when he was growing up. And so now he's doing it to his kids And he writes it down for us to gain the insight that his children would gain, too. And Proverbs 18, he unpacks one of the most famous verses around this idea of speech. Now, when you realize it's a parenting verse, you can kind of start to absorb. When you realize it's a parenting manual, you can start to appreciate some of the nuances, that there are memorable statements. There are crafty ways of saying things. This week, my daughter started um, kindergarten, and this week... Last week and this week, we're, our little devotional breakfast thought that we talk about is from a passage in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, 13.5. And it's just that I do this every single morning with her at breakfast. I say, Ella, um, hey, I remember what we were talking about, um, about how God, how God loves you and how God's there even if mommy and daddy aren't there because you're walking into a new place. And so he will never leave you or let you down or walk away from you. Right? And she's like, oh, I like when you do the fingers and you walk away. And so every morning at breakfast, this is what we're doing. I'm like, hey, what, what's, what are we learning about God's presence in our life? That he will never leave us, he will never let us down, and he will never walk away from us. And it's just what we're talking about. But it's that same idea Solomon is, uh, is doing with his kids that we're, we're about to see in this verse. It's memorable. It, it grabs hold of a little tiny heart that's still processing and navigating the transition into adulthood. And It's probably the most famous verse on speech, but here's the thing I want you to understand. 
the word speech or the reference to our words is so predominant that there is no other topic in the book of Proverbs that Solomon addresses more. Over 100 different times, Solomon addresses with his kids in this book the issue of our speech. Nothing else comes close to that. And Solomon, I can almost visualize it because he recognizes this affects everything. And so Proverbs 18, 20, in verse 20, he says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled, and the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. And so I, I can see them. They're kind of sitting down, getting ready to eat at the table, and their mouths are watering, and their stomachs are, have a little bit of a rumble, and there in front of them is the feast of what a king normally has. And Solomon, grabbing hold of this moment, it's just my kind of conjecture, but I think he, this is one of those moments where Solomon would have grabbed hold of, and he says, from the fruit of their mouth, their stomach is filled. He was like, you know what? We're about to eat. And when we eat, our, the work of our mouth fills our stomach. And they're like, yeah. I can't wait to fill my stomach. The work of my mouth. Right? And then he says, and with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. Now, you have to realize that Solomon's speaking these words, and he's giving his children a gift. He's giving us a gift. Most of the time, the Proverbs had an immediate surface level, but when you reflected on it, which is what it was meant to do, they were typically very easy to memorize, uh, you would find that there was a lot more meat underneath the surface. There was a lot more truth and impact if you chose to think about it considerably more. And this is one of those passages. He makes the point where he says, the, the fruit of your mouth, this chewing that you do, fills your stomach, but he was like, the harvest of your lips will fill your life too. So well, there's actually two different jobs that the mouth's doing. One is to fill the stomach, but the other one is it's going to fill your life. And they're like, well, that's interesting. And then he goes on a little bit more. He wants them to understand fully what he's trying to capture is that the mouth, while it may eat a harvest, it also produces a harvest too. And then he tells them what that harvest is in verse 21. He says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. He says, son, the daughters, like, this is the harvest your mouth can produce, life or death. These two things will be the works. That's what will fill your life out of what you say. And this is kind of this heavy moment. Maybe let's just be real. We're reading this and you're like, okay, I get that, but that's a little dramatic. Life or death. Right? I mean, like, that's just sort of like, mm, really? But I don't think, remember, this is meant to be thought about. So on the surface, you almost want to push it away and say, okay, most of my words are not life or death. And he's like, think about it. Every time you lie, what happens? You kill a little bit of trust in a relationship. And this isn't something an adult can understand. Uh, just recently, someone promised to send my daughter a package. They're like, oh, when you get home, we'll send you a package. And for about a week, every single day, my daughter would ask, did my package come? And I said, no, this person's disappointing you. In my head, right? I'm like, this package better come. And about five days passed, no package. Seven days passed, no package. Month and a half passes, no package. And we're sitting down dinner one night, and I say, hey, Ella, 
remember what that person said? She's like, yeah. I was, Do you think that package is coming? No. I said, let me ask you this. What, the next time they tell you something about sending you a package, what are you going to think? I'm going to think that they probably aren't, that they don't mean it. And in that little tiny dinner conversation, you get this insight that even at age five, we intuitively recognize that words do bring life or death that they do destroy in small, subtle, or sometimes significant ways. Some of us are in this room because, and we live with the ghost of words that have been said to us. And so this idea of life and death, I want to give you another way of, of looking at it so that we don't bog down in the dramatic phrasing. It's a word constructive or destructive. But that's, in fact, actually the type of phrasing that he's referring to, that we measured the words not by its intent, but we measured the, f- the power of its word by its impact. Most of us like to measure our words by our intent, right? I didn't mean for it to make you cry. I didn't mean for it to offend you. I didn't mean fill in the blank. But Solomon says, no, we measure our words by its impact, not its intent. And so the impact, is it constructive or is it destructive? That's his first filter that he's trying to embed inside his children's thinking. He's like, what does it produce? What does it do in the life of someone? Two weeks ago, I had this illustrated for me pretty succinctly. I had lunch with someone who wanted to say some things to me that um, made me leave that meeting questioning whether or not I should continue to do ministry. Like, I'm not joking. I don't normally have those kind of moments. But the things they said and the, the assumptions they made about me, I walked away, and I don't even really get discouraged that often. And I was like, this, this was the most discouraging day I've had in a very long time. All from a conversation. And then within about 72 hours or so of that same conversation, I have another conversation with someone else who says things and, and makes statements that, that make me want to stay and, and be better than I even am Right now, like, I want to work harder. I I believe the best days for Encounter Church are in front of us. Like, it inspired the exact opposite of what this other person did. And both of them, both of them, their vessel to do that inside of me was words. Their impact. Now, I sincerely believe that both had the same intent, but they had two different impacts. And, And Solomon is wanting... His children, and God is wanting us through this lesson, I think, to even hit pause right now and say, if we didn't, if we didn't say anything else, this one simple question is, what do you see your words doing in your life? Do you see cranes and construction units because people are being built up and your kids are being strengthened and your your significant other and your relationship is growing or your friends and your neighbors are being built up? Or do you see a pattern of slowly throwing dirt over and demo crews and people being buried by your words? How would someone categorize walking out of their time with you? How would they describe what you did to them on the inside? Not your intention, but your impact. Because Solomon wants us to realize our words have power. They're going to do something. Constructive, destructive. And so at home, at work, maybe on a ball field, coaching, what is your words doing 
right now and the different relationships of your life. But it also continues, right? He, this first statement is really, you could have just, you could keep from a distance and just make an observation that the tongue produces life or death. But then he moves to what can be slightly confusing. He says, but those who love it will eat its fruit. And the it being the tongue. I don't think he's necessarily making a judgment about good or bad. I think what he's doing is he's elevating the second dynamic. He's elevating the attention to people who give weight to their words, who realize their tongue has power, and so they use it intentionally. And that those who love it, those who put weight to it, those who recognize its power, they'll even eat the fruit of their words even more. They'll see its impact at an even greater level. That the power of the tongue isn't just for life or death. He's like, those who are willing to love it and recognize it will actually see it supercharged. They'll see its impact multiplied. And this, I think, is a really helpful way of understanding that our words have weight. So uh, about a week and a half ago, um, we do little family movie nights, typically on Sunday, um, because uh, we kind of, as a family, crash on Sunday evening. And, uh, and so a few weeks back, we watched the movie uh, Moana and uh, loved the soundtrack. I probably embarrassingly could sing all of them. I may sometimes run on the sound, run on the treadmill, and it just happens to start playing, and I run at a nobler pace because of it. And, and so we're in the car, and Ella says, hey, Daddy, can we listen to the Moana soundtrack? And I'm like, of course. So I'm like, um, hey, Siri, and I'm sorry if I just activated all of your devices. Um, I said, play the Moana soundtrack. And it was like, playing Rwanda. And, uh, you know, we were like, <laughs> and Ella's like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Siri. So I say it again, and play Moana soundtrack, and it's like, playing marijuana. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? And I'm stopping it. Ella is laughing. And I'm like, please don't ask me what that is. And, and so we're still driving down the road. And, and I don't know if some of you, but I, instead of just like, I don't know, being smarter, I get mad. And I'm like, Siri, play Moana soundtrack. And all of a sudden I hear, do, 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 do. And I'm like, I'm screaming, I'm slapping my phone, I'm slapping my car radio, and Ella is rolling in the back seat laughing. And so I'm telling my wife about this. I'm like, hey, I need to confess and apologize. I was the worst parent today. I introduced our daughter to marijuana and colored me bad. <laughs> Probably not getting an award for that one, too, but I just want you to know. And she's like, um... And so I, we get in the car, and um, I'm like, I think I, f I got it. I, I think I figured it out. And I did it again, and it popped up again. And Jenny looked at me like, oh, my goodness. And she said, um, Chris, it's not Moana. It's Moana. And she's like, hey, Siri, play the Moana soundtrack. Play the Moana soundtrack. <laughs> I'm like, Siri. Right? And... But here's the thing, I had watched that movie twice because like many of you who have a small child, the movie's so good, they want to see it multiple times, right? And so I've seen this movie, I've heard that girl's word, her name, over and over and over and over again, but somehow through the process, I was just passive. 
wasn't reflecting on her name. And so I'm flippantly driving down the road, saying the wrong name, un completely unaware, though I've heard it said over me through our television multiple times. And what happens is I expose my daughter to marijuana and color me bad. And I think this is what Solomon was trying to point out, that when we're passive with our words, that he's introducing this idea of active and passive with our words. That those who love it, those who give weight to it, those who recognize its significance, those are the active. Those are the people who understand there's an activeness to the words. And then there's the passiveness. And to kind of help give you this tool as we're kind of wrapping up, it, if you put the constructive-destructive and the passive and the active together, what happens is you form a grid. You form four different distinct ways of communicating. There's the active constructive, there's the active deconstructive, there's the active constructive and the passive, I mean the passive constructive and the passive destructive. And this is insightful. Now, for some of your brains who may not like two by two matrix grids, let me put it in a way that makes it even a little bit clearer, a spectrum. You see, all of us have a speech that has a spectrum. And in that spectrum of speech, in our speech patterns, are these four distinctive process, these four distinctive places that we can fall into habit-wise in how we talk. This grid moves from active constructive, which is the best, it's what God intended us to have, to active destructive, which is the, pretty much the death knell of a relationship being destroyed. And inside of that, it, of those two extremes, is the passive middle. Passive constructive, passive destructive. And what I want to do to kind of drive this home is I want to give you an example of this. That I came across um, earlier this year when I was processing through my own speech patterns. Um, and this is it was an area I was processing through for my own life. And I came across an example that I felt like gave me clarity. And so let's imagine someone comes home and they say, your significant other comes home or your roommate, and they say, I got the promotion. So here's four different ways you could respond that would reflect these four different approaches at communication. Well, the first way would be the active constructive way, which would essentially say something like, that's great, that's phenomenal, I'm so excited for you, give me the details, what was it like, is it public, is it private, is the, does everybody know yet, what's, like, were you sitting at your desk, were you in a meeting, did, did they make a big announcement, like, I want the details. And the body language and the words, they're alive. And then there's the passive constructive, which says, that's good news. You deserve it. Well, good. The words come out, and that's about it. Body language, not engaged. No, let's go out and celebrate. No, let's move into this. I want to hear it. I want to relive it. It's just, psh, okay. Then you get the passive destructive, which is, I got a promotion. Hey, what's for dinner? I'm hungry. And then there's the active destructive, which is, huh, that sounds like a lot of responsibility to take on. I guess you're going to be gone even fewer nights. And in that moment, death occurs. You see, these four different ways of communicating, um, this, this spectrum of speech patterns, is something that I think we all fall into. We all have a tendency, if we're not careful, that we drift into one. Most of us, if we can just put the different titles back up, most of us um, fall in the middle. We fall in the uh, kind of the, the midline of it, the 
passive constructive and the passive destructive. And what I've done is I've given you four words that kind of capture the, the essence of each one of those patterns that kind of help you even as you're processing through where maybe you are with your communication style in the life with others. Animated, everything about you is engaged. Autopilot, apathetic, or aggressive. Most couples live in the autopilot or apathetic realm. Most couples or most relationships that are getting ready to fall apart, which even been statistically proven, um, are marked by this aggressive stage where contempt starts to slip in and how they speak to one another, which is a, a high indicator of a looming divorce or potential devastating fracture in the relationship. Most of us never experience animated. That most of us go through our everyday life and we do autopilot or we do apathetic. And we're not even aware. And here's how I know a vast majority of us, because it's not possible if you have a phone or a device on or in your hand to do animated. If there is a phone in your hand, the best that you can produce is passive. Thank you for that phone, because that <laughs> illustrates it. I did not pay that person to do it, but please see me today at starting point right after, and I'll slip you a five spot, okay? That was awesome. So, so what ends up happening is that most of us, because all we've seen is autopilot or, or apathetic, we think that that's their best that there is. And none of us, none of us at the end of the day want an average relationship. I mean, think, is there been a conversation you've had this week where you've walked away and you felt like someone heard you and engaged with you? The thing about human beings is that we are so wired for words that we can't tell the difference between being sincerely heard and being sincerely loved. We can't tell the difference between those two because they're oftentimes synonymous. Being sincerely heard and listened and engaged with is so close to being truly loved that we can't tell the difference. And that this intention of this animated, active, constructive, life-giving, active speech pattern is what Solomon was pointing his children to, and it's what God is holding out for us to have an experience too. Earlier this year, the reason this has been a part of what I've been processing through is I'd realized I had started going into autopilot and apathetic with my five-year-old little girl. By nature, I'm an introvert. Um, the most talking that I do, typically in a week, is what I'm doing right now on this stage. Okay? I'm far more comfortable just kind of like listening and absorbing, not talking. And maybe there's some of you that can relate. Talking exhausts me. I have a five-year-old little girl who's superpower is talking. <laughs> and I noticed this year that, she, I mean, she wakes up talking and she goes to bed talking and sometimes she talks in her sleep. And I noticed that she had begun, she had begun to talk so much that I was catching myself going on autopilot or saying things like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's neat. And no clue what she was saying. And it started to bother me because I recognized internally that I was starting to erode the relationship that I wanted desperately to build. Because our words have power. Our words make a difference. 
And many of us are in this room because we've recognized the power of our words, but we didn't know how to actually do something with them. And what I love about this tool is this tool gives us a way of dealing with our words in a way that's actually helpful, active, constructive, to stay in that mode, to focus on engaging with the person, not what I want to say to them, but what they're saying. And that to step into that spot actually starts to bring life. It starts to bring and facilitate a relationship that's healthy and life-giving. It's God's intention for us. And the reason that the words matter so much is, I don't know, but there was the only proverb I ever learned growing up about words were sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That was the only proverb about words I got growing up. And that is the worst proverb on words ever. Not only is it a complete lie, but it subtly destroys the very person who's being injured by the words because it says to you, if the words do affect you, somehow you're weak. Oh, well, normal people, it's only sticks and stones that hurt them. Words hurt me, so I must be abnormal. I must be weak. There must be something wrong with me. And that the Christian faith distinctly recognizes the powers of power of word because the Christian faith is literally a faith that that is rooted in this idea of the power of word. God speaks the world into existence in Genesis. When Jesus is referred to when he walks the earth, he's called the living word. Christians refer to their scriptures as the word of God. The word is a big deal in the Christian faith. It's a distinctive element of the Christian faith. Because we recognize that what makes us human isn't that we stand up without hair and that we can drive a car or program a computer or write a sentence. It's that we can actually write a real sentence with real words. Monkeys at typewriters do not bang out Hamlet, even if there's an infinite number of them. That's still not communication. What makes us humans is distinctively our ability to speak words, to communicate, because it's a reflection of what God did in our divine image, and that many of us are in this room, and we have lived with the haunting weight of someone's destructive words in our life. Isn't it amazing how words travel through time, like, ceaselessly? We still remember things that were said to us when we were tiny. I still remember the words I got bullied with growing up. I still remember some of the slurs that got said over me in middle school. And instantly, I feel all the feelings I felt then, 20-plus years later. Because words have power to shape and to mold a life. And that one of the beautiful things, even why Jesus was called the living word, was because God wanted to communicate to the people who he made to communicate that there is one word written over all of us. And at the heart of the Christian faith is that one word of you are loved. That the living word demonstrating that love through Jesus' life and death and then his like grave conquering resurrection. That whole, the whole narrative of the Christian faith is that 
no matter what the words have been spoken over you, there is new words of hope and life that have been spoken over us. And, and then not only is that promise held out to us, we're then invited to be a part of that being fleshed out on planet Earth. I mean, let's just be candid. The only thing good about the hurricanes is it extracted America from the vile words and often being said on the news channels. Right? I mean, like that's the silver line of the hurricanes is at least right now when I turn on the news, I don't have to be reminded of how damaging the words are being said across the aisle. And, and, and God understood that. When he invites the church into that, imagine if we, just imagine your own life. Let's not even imagine the world. Just imagine if all of us committed to living and speaking words that were constructive and active. How would that begin to change your relationships? How would that begin to shape your children? How would that begin to change your work environment and those around your cubicle? Imagine if we, as a group of people, just committed to those kind of words. And imagine if our world started, if there was a moratorium on all three of the other categories and we could only speak active, constructive. Imagine what the world would look like then. It's because at the heart of words is this divine spark of a God who speaks and who has spoken over all of us that we are loved and that he desires relationship with us and that he invites us to be a part of sharing and spreading and demonstrating the power of that word love. And so as we step into this week, I want to challenge you. I don't know where you fall in that spectrum, but I do know this, that all of us, all of us can move towards the right side. All of us can begin to take steps towards active, constructive. And that if we just practice that this week, that what we would notice by the time we get to next Sunday is that our relationships would be a little healthier, our world would be a little brighter, and that over time, what would start to happen is maybe people would start to grab hold of this intentional discipline that is meant to mark the Christian faith of being people who speak life, not death, and who do it actively, intentionally, every single day. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of the power of words, of, of its ultimate source being rooted in who you are. And that when we speak words of life and hope, we are closer to reflecting you. And so for those who are in this room, God, who have had words spoken over them, that have shaped them, that have damaged them, I pray even today that you would begin to bring healing. That you would speak a bolder, truer, more beautiful word over their lives. Not the things that they were called, not the ways that they were told they failed, but that you would speak the word love that you would speak the word hope, that you would speak the word future, and that they would feel even in their soul right now that the words that they've heard in their life does not have to define them, describe them, and that there is in the beauty of your words a different way of living and seeing and thinking. And I pray, God, that you would... Um, Help us to be people who speak words who are active, who speak words who are that are constructive, that we would be people who speak life-giving words. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray.
So we're going to wrap up, and we're going to wrap up the same way we wrap up every single week at Encounter. Um, we're, we usually carve out a little bit of a space to process the lesson, the message, the tools. And um, that's why in the message notes, she said, what, what did I hear that stuck out, and what's something I, I'm going to do from it? Because we believe ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, the Christian faith is not about knowledge or information. It's about the transformation of our own personal life, that we think that there is power in not the information absorption, but in the transformational living that it produces. And so this question of what is this going to, what does this mean for my life this week? What does this mean for the conversations I'm going to have this week? For that meeting I have scheduled on Tuesday that was going to be really conflict-oriented. What would that look like if I went with active, constructive words? And that we use this time, we sing a song, we reflect, we process, and we give you space to kind of just jot down some notes and thoughts about your personal life and how the truth of this could flesh out. Um, We also use this time as a way of maybe for some of us just kind of in the song saying, I surrender all. There's this line about I surrender. For some of us that maybe we just need to say to God, God, these are words I have clung on that have been spoken over me. Words that I have that hurt me, that I have nurtured, that I have poured fuel on, that have injured me. And God, I just want to offer them up to you and say, I'm tired of these words haunting me 20 years, 10 years, 30 years later. And that as a church, yesterday we were able to um, do some really fun, uh, just free things in our community. And October 22nd, uh, we have um, a, a free community event that's in your app already that you can register for where we've rented out the entire launch trampoline park. And that we're able to do those kind of things. We're able to give money to Hurricane Harvey Relief. We're able to give away tens of thousands of dollars to these different organizations because of your generosity. So we also carve out space for those who call Encounter Church Home to practice the generosity that marks us as a people. And that for whatever it may be in this time frame, that whether it's you responding to the words spoken today, whether it's you reflecting on your week ahead, whether it's you giving as part of this family called Encounter Church, or whether it's just you as a first-time guest or someone wanting to know more about groups filling out the connection card. We believe that in this time, all of us can do something. And so I want to invite you to stand. The man's going to lead us in singing this song, and then um, somebody from our team will be up to dismiss you. Um, Thank you so much for being at Encounter Church today. Let's sing.